We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll continue, of course, our study of Paul's letter to this young fellow worker, Timothy. And we've seen a lot already. Paul is writing to instruct Timothy, but also to help the church at Ephesus. That's where Timothy is. Paul writes to give instructions and help to help Timothy to know what to do and also what to teach these people. And as we continue this morning, the subject, we get into chapter 2, the subject comes up as prayer. And Paul talks about the priority of prayer in our lives, especially when he deals with, with the whole idea of praying for leaders and those in authority. Prayer is sometimes, or a lot of times, let's put it this way, prayer is a lot of times neglected until there's a problem. Then we say things like, well, we better, we better do something, maybe we better pray. Well, in this passage, we're also going to see the truth about salvation. The passage is incredible because it It actually says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow, it's a very powerful passage. We'll see it as we look through it. This morning there's some great verses, I think some things that can encourage us to share our faith and then can encourage us to keep on praying. And so there's some great things this morning. Over the years, I've had the privilege of praying at the National Day of Prayer. Sometimes it meets on the courthouse lawn, sometimes other places. Prayers are lifted up for our nation, for our leaders, both nationally and locally. There's a great truth in the Word of God that we'll see in this morning's passage, and that is we're to pray for those who are in leadership positions in our nation in our local area as well. We realize that being in leadership, being in, a, in an office, in a government, is a major responsibility. The Bible states says, it says, all governments are ordained by God, and God is the one who raises up leaders and sits down leaders. Leadership is important, whether it's in the government, the home, or the church. We realize that our leaders, when we, when we really realize that our leaders are raised up by God, we then think about what is our responsibility then? What are we supposed to do? What do they need from us? Well, the truth is they need our prayers. Leadership is very difficult. And Alexander Tyler wrote this. He says, leadership in America, even in America's democracy, we have a major problem. He says, voters soon realize that they can vote themselves money from the public treasury, government programs. So the voter votes for the candidate that promises the most money. Richard Halverson, who was the former chaplain of the Senate, he said this, America must have strong, godly leaders. Why? Because we demand freedom without restraint, rights without responsibility, choices without consequences, and pleasure without pain. Our leaders need our help. What do they need from us? They need us to pray for them. Paul, in this passage this morning, says they need our prayers. That we are to pray for all men, especially those who are in leadership places and places of authority. Prayer should be a priority in our lives. Now, the truth is, it's not always. Often it's overlooked. It's greatly needed. Well, we're going to see that this morning. As we continue in our passage this morning, our study this morning, we've been seeing this, that uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy has been left in a church called Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the main churches of the day, and, and Paul is left in there, but there's some problems there. They've got some false teachers in the church. They've got things that are not going very well. So Paul writes and tells Timothy that he's got to deal with these kind of things, deal with the false teachers. He talks about the grace in his own life. He tells Timothy to stand strong, to stand for Jesus Christ and to fight the good fight. Well, as we move into chapter 2, he's going to begin to start dealing with some of the the areas of conduct. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about the role of men and the role of women. He's going to even give leadership characteristics of people who are going to be in leadership. So there's a lot of things as we go. And so in the weeks to come, the prayer and those kind of things. This morning, we're only going to look at the first four verses. What I want to do is I want to give you the outline of the first seven verses to show you how it fits together. But we're only going to look at the first four. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, Paul requests prayer. That's what he talks about. He talks about for all men, especially those in authority. And he says, why? Because we want to lead 
quiet and peaceful lives. And so it's really powerful. Then verses 4, 5, and 6. Now all we're going to get is verse 4 this morning. But we see God's salvation plan for man. It is God's desire, God's plan. He desires mankind to be saved. And we'll talk about that. It talks about the mediator being Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 7, which we'll see this next week, of course, is Paul's responsibilities. He says that he's been sent to the Gentiles as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And we'll make application see how that fits with us. This morning, just focus on the first four verses and we look at Paul's exhortation to Timothy to pray for leadership those in leadership in the world basically at that time in the world and we think think of the same thing we've come to the portion of the letter where Paul gives some instructions notice what he says look at verse uh, chapter 2 of look at verses 1 and 2 I just want to put those together he says first of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers Petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And what Paul does is he writes this letter. He says, now let me tell you what's important. He says, first of all. And when he writes it that way, he's showing the priority. And I want you to think about it. The priority, many times prayer is not our priority. Sometimes prayer is our last response to things. It's sort of like when all else fails, pray. We say things like, we've done everything. What can we do now? I guess well, there's nothing left to do but pray. Well, what we should be doing is praying on the front end. Prayer is, does not just help us do the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so we've got to realize prayer is one of the hardest things. Let me tell you, we could say, we're going to have a big party this afternoon, or we're going to say, uh, uh, Monday night, we've got a big party, we're going to have all kind of food, we want everybody to come, it's going to be a great time, everybody will come. We say, we're going to have a prayer time, that all we're going to do is get together and pray, it'll be a much smaller group. Praying is a lot harder. In fact, I want you to understand, there's a Greek word for prayer, it's not in this passage, but it's agonizo. And we get the word agony from it. Because it's hard. Praying is hard. Let me tell you, praying is much harder than me studying the Scripture and teaching. I love to do it, and it's hard to you know, dig through the Bible and put it all together and then teach it. That's hard. But praying is much harder than that. You think, why would we be praying so hard? Because praying is just talking to God. That's what it is. But for some reason, we think about it and we say, let's all pray. People go, mm, let's all do something else. You know, because prayer is just a hard thing. Now, Paul says the priority ought to be prayer. Listen, a man by the name of Peter Deientius says this. He says, if you have much prayer, you have much power. No prayer, no power. And as we look at this, he says, first of all, this is my priority. Paul says, this is the priority. First of all, then I urge that, and he lists four words, entreaties, prayers, petition and thanksgiving. Now I'm reading this through the New American Standard. I'll give you, you've got, some of you got NIVs and some of you got King James and New King James and that. So the words are a little bit different. I'm going to show you how they fit together in just a minute. But he says this, first of all, I urge. And the word urge there means I beg. He says, listen, here's the priority. I'm begging you. Here's what you really need to focus on. And it's the idea of praying. In fact, to continue in prayer. First Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. In Luke chapter 16, he says, keep on praying and don't stop. That's one of the things that we really need to do, and that's the focus on prayer. Now, what he does is he gives four words for prayer. Now, you know, I, I love I love Greek. I, I loved it when I was in seminary. I was so afraid I couldn't do it. And I got in there and I started learning. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, I, I can learn it. And, and I loved it. And so even now I, I still use the Greek a lot and I teach Greek some. And one thing that's so fun about Greek is that it's so exact. Like if we just say the word, I hope you pray or let's pray. 
For us, we just say pray. What, what do we think of? But in the Greek, there are like six or seven different words for prayer, and they all mean something a little bit unique. In this passage, in verse 1, he actually uses four different words for prayer, and they all have a little nuance to them, and I want you to see them. So notice what he says. First of all, I urge that. Here's his first one, entreaties. The second one is prayer. The third prayers. The third one is petitions. And the fourth one is thanksgiving. He says that these should be made on behalf of all men. He's meaning all people. Let's look at the first word. The first word is, is entreaties. Now, if you've got like an NIV, I think the word is request. and King James, the word is supplications. But the word literally means to ask for something for yourselves. You remember Philippians 4, 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known. That's the same word. This word means to ask for something for yourself. Now, sometimes people say, you shouldn't ask for things for yourself. I mean, isn't that kind of selfish to say, God, I need this and I need this and help me do this, Lord, and help this, help us do this and this? But no, it's not. In fact, the Word of God tells you to lift up your request to God for yourself. That's why the Philippians passage, we studied Philippians right before we got into Timothy. And bottom line, Philippians says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your petitions be made known. Lift them to God. It's very powerful. This word really means to ask for something for yourselves. Tell him everything. When you get up in the morning and when you're talking to God, you can, and that's what prayer is, it's just talking to God. You can say, Lord, I really I want to help me on this test. Help me on this project. Help me on this job interview. Help me as I do this project at work. Help me in my relationship with this person. Help me in these things. You're asking for things for yourself, and that's okay. I remember that a woman read the story about a woman came to a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. He was a great, great Bible teacher uh, in the 1920, in there. And she came to him and said, do you think we ought to pray for even the little things? And he looked at her and said, do you think anything in your life is big to God? Every, there's, everything's little to God, right? I mean, he can, say, I can handle that, thank you. Oh, that's a big one. Whew. Wow, you know? You know God, nothing's big to him. And so we can bring anything to God. And so whatever's going on in your life, whatever you want, whatever you need, don't be anxious for anything. Lift it up to God. So first word, when Paul says, first of all, I urge that entreaties, basically petitions. You just lift up requests. There's a second word. Second word is the word prayer. This word is unique because the word actually means an act of worship. It means recognizing who God is. The word has an idea of putting your face down. It is used probably more than any of the other Greek words for prayer. It's the idea that when you talk to God, and that's what prayer is, is just talking to God, that you're saying to Him, you're God, you're, you're the Creator, you're, you're the Redeemer. You're, you're coming to Him as an act of worship. You realize sometimes you can come to God and you can say, Dear Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. That's okay. Sometimes you can go to God and you can say, Lord, You, you are your God. You're the Creator. You're the Provider. You're the protector. You're the almighty God. You've always existed. You're the sovereign ruler. You're everything. And that's what this word means. Now, let me remind you of something about prayer, because prayer really is just simply talking to God. And sometimes people think about it, and they'll say things like, I don't really know how to pray. Well, you know how to talk. 
Right? I mean, prayer is not, is not a prayer, you know, they don't have to have special things. I mean, I used to know people that prayed in King James English. I don't know why they did that. Say, I didn't go to church. I, I grew up uh, never going to church. And I remember going to church after I trusted Christ when I was in college. And a man would always get up and he would say, Thou, Lord, we thank Thou. And I thought, why, why is he praying in King James English? Does God want us to pray in King James English? I don't know. I never understood it. You can talk to him anyway, anytime, anywhere, in anything. Just talk to him. And this is the idea of worship. And so when you, when you come to God, you can talk to him and, and ask for things. You can come to him and you can recognize who he is. There's a third word. Notice it says, I urge that entreaties and prayers and that the New American Standard says petitions. But really the word actually might be better translated. And I think the uh, NIV and the King James both put the word intercession there. And that's really what the word means. It means to pray for somebody else. You can lift your request up for somebody else. And we do that a lot. People say something like, hey, hey, pray for me. And you go, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. Don't worry. And, and that's what we're doing. And sometimes people call into the church. And let me, let me tell you this. We have a prayer chain that if, if you would like to be on that, all you have to do is call the church, give us your email address, and then any time a request comes in, we mail it out to everybody on that list so that people can be praying. So if you had a prayer request, you could call the church, and there will be hundreds of people praying for you. This is what intercession is. This is what that word means. And then we do it all the time. Now, we have to be careful because people say, hey, pray for me. i got a big test. Or pray for me. This is happening. And you say, I'll do it. And then we forget, right? And then we see them two days later, and they go, hey, thanks for praying. It really worked. And you go, yeah, it really did. It really worked. You didn't even pray, right? You forgot. So when you say, I'm going to pray for somebody, you Pray for them. In fact, the best thing to do, and I, this is what I started doing, because I forget. If somebody says, hey, pray for me, i got this big deal. I go, okay, and right then, right then I pray for them. Because that's what intercession is. And we can do this all the time. We pray for people. A lot of times it's physical things. It could be anything. Pray for one another. So you can pray and lift up requests for you. You can worship God. You can pray for others. And then if you notice the last word, and it's really self-explanatory there, it's the word thanksgivings. And this word literally means to give thanks. It has the idea of being thankful to God for what he has done. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's what the word, that's a, it means it's a prayer. And so sometimes we can come to God and say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this. Thank you for how you work that out. See, oftentimes we ask God for something. He does it and we forget to thank him. This is part of it, to thank him. You know, God answers every prayer. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait. But he answers every prayer. He hears everything. God is a God who answers prayers. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because we have a God who loves us. We should be thankful for him to who he is and what he has done. So think about it. You can, you can pray, I think, we, and you can ask for yourself. You can pray for others. You can worship God for who he is and what he's done. You can thank God for what he has done. Think about this. You could get all by yourself and spend the whole time saying, Lord, would you help me do this, help me do this, help me do this, help me do this, work this out. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. You get off by yourself and spend the whole time just worshiping God and telling him who he is and all these things. You can get off by yourself and spend the whole time just with a list, praying for, praying for people, people that you know, people that you love. You can get off by yourself and you just thank God for all that he has done. Now, I want to tell you something, and uh, just as kind of a side note. 
what I would do, and I think it's really effective, is when you think about praying, get you a little notebook, get you something. And when you write, write down your prayer request. And let me tell you, the more specific you make your request, the more specific you will see the answer. Now, if you just said, bless JB, I'm going to get blessed. There's no doubt. God blesses me all the time. You may not see that, but if you get specific. So I think a thing you should do is when you talk about praying and when you're praying for, for yourself or you're praying for others or things, be very specific and say, Lord, I pray that this will happen. So, you know, and, and you will be amazed how God answers those prayers. So we can pray for ourselves. We can worship God. We can pray for others. We can be thankful to God. There's so many things. We bring our requests and our petitions because He can deal with the biggest and the smallest because they're all the same. Now, I want to give you one more word. It's not in here, but there's another word for prayer. I just want you to see. Most of you know it, but I want you to get it. Just to, it's, a, it's the word confession. It's found in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an aspect. Confession is an act of prayer. It's where you come to God and you tell on yourself. Now, the word confess in the Greek is the word homo legeo. Homo legeo. Homo means same. Legeo means to speak. So homo legeo means to speak the same thing. When you confess your sin, you're saying the same thing God would say. So when you lie, you say, Lord, I lied. That's right. That's right. I lied. And that's what confession is. And you know, it's so powerful because he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So confession of sin is an aspect of keeping, maintaining your fellowship with God. So a lot of times when you pray, you do all of them. You may start off, and as you start your prayer, you confess your sins. You can be in fellowship, and you thank God for what he's done, and you worship him, and then you lift up prayer requests for others, and then you lift up petitions for yourself. So sometimes when you pray, you use all five of these that we've mentioned this morning. The key is this. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need to come boldly to the throne of grace. Prayer is hard. Maintain Maintain that prayer. Now notice what he says. First of all, I, uh, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made. The way it's written in the Greek there means continually be made. Keep on making these requests. And he goes on to say, on behalf of all men. He's talking about all people. See, who are we supposed to pray for? We're supposed to pray for everybody. We're supposed to pray for all people. Pray for all, We're to be in prayer, in prayer for one another, whether they're believers or unbelievers. You may have a list that you're praying for people who aren't Christians. You pray for people who are Christians. You pray for all kinds of things. Now, in this passage, Paul's going to get very specific. He just told Timothy, I want you to be praying for all people. And then he begins to list some people to pray for. Notice verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. So the first one is the kings. That's the leaders, the leaders of the government. Now, he says, let's pray for the kings. Now, you understand that when this was written, that Nero was the emperor of Rome. And he wasn't just a bad man. He was an evil man, not just a bad man, not just an unwise man, not just a a weak leader. He was an evil man. He is the man that oftentimes would take people who are Christians and wrap them up and set them on fire and use them as torches. This is the same man that would bring them in and have them eaten by animals, by wild animals. That's the kind of man that he was. Paul says, pray for him. 
See, oftentimes we look at people that we don't like and we're not going to pray for them. But he says pray for them, pray for the kings and all who are in authority. Donald Guthrie says this. He says whether they're civil leaders are perverted or not, we should make them the subject of prayer. Sometimes we think about our leaders in our country, our nation, and we don't like them, so we don't want to pray for them. Listen, we should pray for all of them. In fact, you say, well, I don't like them. But Jesus said pray for those who persecute you. We should pray for our president and our senators and our representatives and our governors and our local leaders. We should pray for every one of them. He's going to tell us why in just a second as the passage goes on. He'll tell you why to pray for the leaders. But when was the last time you prayed for the president? When was the last time you prayed for what's going on in Iraq or Iran or maybe Russia or maybe North Korea or maybe the, the Middle East and the Persian Gulf? When was the last time you prayed about those items? And we all say, ooh, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen over there. Let's pray. Let's pray for our leaders. Because they're going to make decisions. You understand that world leaders are going to make decisions that are going to affect you. World leaders are going to make decisions that will affect you. Leaders of this nation are going to make decisions that will affect you directly. Has that happened recently? In the last year, has decisions been made by people in leadership positions that have affected you in a number of ways? And will continue to affect us for the rest of our lives. We better be praying. Look what he says. He says, pray on behalf of what? For kings and all who are in authority. Why? Why? Here's the result. So that, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, the whole purpose, the result and purpose of prayer for those in authority is this. That we may lead what? A tranquil and quiet life. Tranquil means peace on the outside. The Greek word quiet means peace on the inside. He says pray for leaders so that things will be good for you outwardly and inwardly. That's why he says pray for them. Because they make decisions that affect you. Sometimes we don't think that. We say, oh, what people do in Washington or what people do over here, what people do downtown, what people do there. Oh, it doesn't affect us. It does. It affects every one of us. Paul knew it then. He said, you need to be praying for the world leaders. He said, you need to be praying for the kings and those in authority so that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life. You know that by this, when this was written, there was already the persecution that started. If you look in history, Jesus, we're thinking Jesus died between 30 and 33. We're not sure exactly the dates. And things were fine in the 30s, 40s. But by the end of the 40s, 47, 48, 49, things began to happen. The early 50s, there were persecutions already. When you get the 60s, Paul was in prison in the 60s. By the time Paul got out of prison and was writing this, the persecution was ramped up. Paul was, Paul was put to death for his faith. Peter was put to death for his faith. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Persecution. And Paul is writing, pray for those in authority. Why? So you can lead a tranquil and quiet life. Do you know that the Bible says that God turns the heart of the king? A man by the name of Herbert who writes commentary says, Paul believed that a prayer, that prayer made a difference in natural affairs. Albert Barnes says, so much depends on the leaders, their characters, their plans, what they do affect us. And so he says, listen, you need to pray for the people in authority so that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life. And he says, goes on and says, in godliness, in all godliness and dignity. These two words are pretty unique. Godliness means you relate, has talking about your relationship with God and dignity talks about your relationship with people because the word dignity has an idea of honesty. 
He says you ought to pray for the leaders so that you can lead a, a tr- tranquil life, a quiet life, that you can have a good relationship with God and a good relationship with people. Scripture says this. When good men reign, there's peace. When evil men reign, there's turmoil. When the Proverbs says that when good men come to power, people rejoice. When evil men rule, people hide. That's what happens. Should we pray for our leaders in our country and in the world? That's what Paul says to do. Are you praying for the events in the Middle East, in our own town and state and city and county and country and world? He goes on to say that this, verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is a good thing to do. It's a good thing to pray. He says this whole idea of praying and resulting in peace and all that, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is what God wants us to do. Prayer's got to be the priority in our lives. Now, I want to get to the last part. I'm going to go quickly through the last thing because when we come back next week, we'll come back and start at verse 4. So I want you to see 3 and 4, but I want to just, just touch on it this morning. But when he says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice he calls us calls God the Savior. I want you to realize something, that it is God the Father who saves mankind. He so loved the world that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. It is God who so loved us that He sent His Son into the world. Now, we think of Jesus as the Savior. Of course, He came and died for us and paid for our sins. But God the Father is also the Savior. And I want you to understand something that is a key. We are not the Savior. We're not the Savior. There are people who think they are. Now, they wouldn't go that far and say, I'm the Savior. But what they'd say is this. I have to live a good life. I have to keep the Ten Commandments. I have to go to church. I've got to be good. I've got to get baptized. I've got to do this. I got People throughout history, you ask them, what do you think you have to do to go to heaven? Well, I've got to try to live the best life I can live. I've got to pray. I've got to do this. They think they're the Savior. They think something they can do can get them eternal life. I want you to understand that God is the Savior, not you. There's not one thing we could ever do. We can never measure up. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. The Father sent the Son, and whoever believes has eternal life. It is not your works. It is not your goodness or your righteousness. It is simply faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's powerful truth. There are a lot of people who don't know that. Isn't that amazing? You'd think it's all throughout the Bible that you're saved by faith. And yet we can go talk to people everywhere. And they all think it's something they do in order to get to God. That's called religion. Religion is man-pleasing God. Christianity is God-pleasing God. God loved the world. God sent Son. God did it. So just remember... He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, of God, our Savior. And then I'm going to go very quickly through this last part. But notice what God's desire is. Verse 4, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's desire is to, for men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, that they would grasp it, they would understand the truth. Listen, notice it says that God desires all men, all people. God wants all people to be saved. Notice this. God so loved the world. That's all people. Christ died for every person. First John 2, 2. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. God wants all people to be saved. That's every person. So the two things, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. Let's talk about being saved for just a second. 
uh, saved salvation, saved from separation. See, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all supposed to be separated from God. God doesn't want us to be separated from Him. He loves us. So He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the satisfactory payment, to pay for sin so that we can have eternal life as a gift. And so He wants us to be saved. I want you to understand that, that God wants every human being to be saved. There's some teaching that God is going to save. I'm going to create some people. God's going to create some people so they'll go to hell. And I'm going to create some people so they'll go to heaven. No, God wants all people to go to heaven. God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He loves all people. And how are we saved? We're saved simply by faith. John 3.16, whoever believes, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, and 1 John 2, 2 talks about that he's the payment for our sin and, and his love to us. Uh, Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Ephesians 2.89, for by grace you're saved through faith over and over. 150 places in the New Testament, over 150 places in the New Testament, we are saved simply by faith. Now, I just want to throw this out there for you so you can understand. When we talk about salvation, there are three aspects of salvation in the Bible. There's salvation from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. Salvation from the penalty of sin is when you believe in Jesus Christ and you get eternal life. That's called justification. Salvation from the power of sin is the Holy Spirit inside of you so that you live a great Christian life and have victory. And then the salvation from the presence of sin is when Jesus Christ comes and gets you and takes you to be with him. The first one's called justification. The second one's called sanctification. And the third one is called glorification. This passage is dealing with justification, salvation, salvation from the penalty of sin. God desires that all people will be saved, not being separated from God forever. He doesn't want us separated. So sometimes when you see the word salvation or saved, you have to look at it and see which salvation is he dealing with. And there's a second thing that he wants, and that's for us to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Not just knowledge of the truth. The Greek word there literally means a full knowledge of the truth. The truth is the word of God. He wants men to know the truth. He wants people to know the word of God. Not only the truth for salvation, but the truth for how we live. He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. He wants us to know the word and live it out. Now, let me tell you, how do you do that? Well, you have to do this. You have to study the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. A workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately the word of God. You've got to dig the Bible yourself. And second is you've got to be taught and then teach others. 2 Timothy 2.2, take the things that you've been taught and trust these to faithful people who are able to teach others all. So you have to do that. You have to do that if you're going to make an impact for Jesus Christ. You've got to study the Scripture, and you've got to pass it on. You've got to know it, and you've got to live it out, and you've got to pass it on. So I've got a couple of sets of questions to ask you. The first set of questions, are you saved? This is what God desires. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to have an eternal relationship with Him, which is simply by faith alone in Christ alone. If you're here, you've never, and you've never trusted in Christ, and you thought, well, it's something I do, or I try to go to church, or be good, I want you to understand you can't do any of that. Jesus Christ has already died for you and paid for sin. God has already so loved you. He's provided the way of salvation, and that's the gift, the gift of eternal life. Second is, are you growing in the knowledge of the truth? This is what God desires. He desires that you'd be saved and to grow in the full knowledge of the truth. The only way you can do that is continue to study the Scripture, to grow, to to be taught, to dig it, all of those kind of things. Now, there's a second set of questions, and here they are. Are you leading others to salvation? Since God desires all people to be saved, and you know Jesus Christ is Savior, we scatter out from this place, we go into that community, into the community on the campus. Are you sharing your faith? Are you telling people about Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, I don't know if you remember, but two weeks ago, 
two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that maybe we should, uh, when we wake up in the morning, just say to God, God, would you use me today? Give me an opportunity to share my faith. I mean, we talked about doing that. Well, I did that. And last week, I'm, I'm just telling you this just to show you. Last week, I, by the grace of God, I got to lead three people to Christ. They trusted in Christ, three different people. And that's because that day I said, Lord, would you give me opportunities? So why don't we say that? Why don't we say, Lord, I know the message. I know the gospel. I know the truth. Give me opportunities. Are we leading others to Christ? Second is, are you helping others grow in the grace and knowledge of the, of the truth, the full knowledge of the truth? That's helping people after they trust in Christ to grow and to go on to maturity. That's the goal. You know, our, our main thing is to make disciples, right? Discipleship. Jesus came up and said, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus, Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. That's the, the key. Discipleship's twofold evangelism and training, leading people to Christ and then training them, equipping them. Evangelism and training. Are we doing that? Paul says, This is God's desire that people would be saved and they would know the truth. We're the instrument. Next week, I want you to see verse 5. He says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man. You know, I tell you, in our 2-2 study, we have a saying that the story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That mediator is Jesus Christ and the way that human beings are brought back into an eternal relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. We'll see some of that next week. In fact, we'll go back, get verse 4, get a little bit more details because we just touched on the surface this morning. What have we seen? Paul says we need to make a priority prayer. We need to do that. We need to be praying for all people, especially those who are in leadership. We must realize that it is God's desire for people to be saved and to grow, and there's a mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Let me give you some applications. Here's the first one. Let's make prayer a priority in our lives and in our church. We have to do that. Let's be praying for one another. Let's lift up our request. The early church had its priority. Listen to this. They all continued steadfastly in one accord with prayer and supplication, Acts 1.14. They continued steadfastly in prayer, Acts 2.42. We will give ourselves continually to prayer, Acts chapter 6, verse 4. The first century church, the emphasis in the church was prayer. We need to pray without ceasing. There's nothing too big or too small to bring to God. Everything can bring to Him. How incredible it is that the creation, us, can come boldly to the Creator. And lift up our requests. So what should we do? Well, we should be making petitions and intercessions and worship and thanksgiving and confession and all of those things on an ongoing basis. We should be praying for one another. That's the key. Second one, and we're going fast. The second one is let's take God's message of salvation in this community. I mean, Paul says he's the messenger. Well, we are too. In fact, what does God desire? He desires for all people to be saved. That's what he wants. We need to look at other people around us and say what God wants is those people to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. So we've got to be used by God. That means number two is we've got to be clear on the message. Don't mess it up. Don't add to it. Be ready to give the clear grace message of salvation. Grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what it is. So be ready. And the third thing, let's help others to know God's Word. That's the plan. Paul said that that's his plan to help others grow. And he says what God wants people to do is come to the knowledge of the truth. We want people to know the truth about salvation. We want people to know the truth about the Bible so they can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. May we be faithful to make prayer a priority in our lives, being ready to share the good news of salvation with those around us, being faithful to teach and equip others so that we can all grow 
in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So that God's desire that all people would come to know Christ, to be saved, and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for all the stuff in there. Lord, we just pray that, first of all, that priority will, that prayer will be a priority in our lives. That we'll just really do that, Lord, and that, that we'll, uh, we'll pray for one another, and we'll pray for ourselves, and we'll, we'll worship you, and we'll thank you, and we'll do all of these things, and we'll deal with our sin, and all the things that we see in these passages, Lord, we just want to do that. And may we, may we be specific when we pray. Lord, thank you for the good news message that you desire that people would be saved. Lord, would you use us? to scatter out in this community to tell people about Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want not only to help people know Christ as Savior, but we want people to grow as Christians. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.